Too many who know the angles Uncover and untangle All the questions and the webs left out to tangle be in Dapper Dan Gavazdan, and I own every issue of Amazing Spider-Man, including the annuals, which definitely count. And I'm the mischievous Mark Chinacchio, or is it mischievous, Dan? Dan, I gotta tell you, I was speaking recently with my wife, the erudite Erin Chinacchio. Uh, you might remember her from such shows as the seri- the excuse me, the annual podcast. I almost called it by the fake name there. <laughs> who told me apparently that I have been saying, in addition to saying all of the creators who work on these Spider-Man comics, their names incorrectly, I'm apparently pronouncing my own name or my moniker incorrectly. She told so, she told me that mischievous is not acceptable, that it's mischievous. Uh, do you have any do you have any stake in that? You, or is this like, you know, is this like the annuals? Do you do you, do you feel like passion for this this argument here well if you're going to invoke the annuals you're going to you're sparking a passion in me and i'm going to have to agree with aaron but but okay. typically the erudite uh, no, aaron I think, <laughs> yes i uh i think they're interchangeable but you know i could start calling myself daper dangavazdan but and then we're really headed down into a strange territory i think mischievous is is probably how i would pronounce it you know, I I'm, I guess there's like the British style is like mischievous. Uh, we'll have to consult uh, the legendary Tom DeFalco and and see where he comes down on that. That's a that's a that's a good that's a good idea. So, but but in the interim, you know, for for marital bliss, I'm gonna start all over again and say I'm the mischievous Mark Chinacchio, and I too own every issue of Amazing Spider-Man. But Dan, the annuals don't count. And I just don't know if my wife is right, but don't tell her I said that. (laughs) All right. Well, welcome, everybody, to the Amazing Spider Talk, the show where two fans and collectors uncover the strange, fun, and fascinating history of the Spider-Man comic universe and pronunciation. Well, at least for now. Thanks for joining us for this review episode of the all-new Amazing Spider Talk. Yeah, and I, I am about to just uh, go through a gauntlet here, Dan, and not the Spider-Man kind of gauntlet. Today on the show, we are going to be discussing Amazing Spider-Man Volume 5, number 53.LR and 54-Legacy855. But of course, let's start with that number 53.LR with a host of names I can't say, including, well, not including, I can say these two names, written by Nick Spencer and Matthew Rosenberg. And then here we go, God bless, with art by Federico Vincenzo. Chantini and Takeshi Miyazawa, uh, inks by Scott Hanna, I can say that one, colors by Mar- Marco Menez and Eric Archiniega, and letters by VCs Ariana Marr. 
and a cover by Marcella Ferreira and David Curiel. Okay, I think I got those two. This issue was first released on November 25th, 2020. So many years ago in this wonderful year that is 2020. What's It's like the first real gap we've gotten between issues in a while on this book. You know, uh, we've, we've been getting those weekly and now we're back to a somewhat regular schedule. And I'm guessing we're going to kind of plow through the remainder as the year concludes. Uh, 2021 and a new status quo for Spider-Man and hopefully for the world. Yes, yes. Here we go. Uh, look at what 2021 vision. Uh, but let's talk about this comic here, Dan. And, and you know, it's it's kind of funny that. One of the things that I want to talk about, and we'll talk about this with the regular ASM issue a little later, is it kind of dawned on me with all these rapid succession issues that technically after these two, there's just one issue left of each story, I believe, right? Am I am I misreading the checklist wrong? No, I don't think so. You know, I think obviously we're building to some kind of climax as we have been for Uh, 60 some issues of of this story, things are finally starting to kind of dovetail and all move together. And the both issues we're going to be talking about today, I think their main goal was kind of to position these books to collide in some way. And uh, I imagine, you know, perhaps those final two issues of each story will be a little more interlinked than they have been thus far. I'm going to say outright, I do feel that the the LR issue at least is being paced out, I think, a little more reasonably and in this regard. But like, I still like after reading this issue, was kind of thinking to myself, how the heck are they going to resolve all this in another in one more comic? You know what I mean? Like, it's just like this this the whole introduction of all these elements, and uh, it's just so bizarre. And let and let's start with like the big one here, which is where we're we, this comic we get a lot of Moreland finally after kind of teasing what his role was going to be throughout. And, you know, I, I I said when we last talked about the LR a couple of weeks ago that, like, to me, Moreland just felt like too much. I just don't know if this issue changed my mind about that. I mean, like, I feel like we're, we're getting like a, uh, a Spider-Verse slash Spider-Geddon kind of subplot here involving him and his need to feed and, you know, putting the rest of the spider squad in danger and what does this have to do with spider-man and and kindred and why are why is this essential to that story i i still don't quite know i i I, and and this comic doesn't do much to sell me on that idea well i mean in regards to moreland like one of the things we discussed is the potentially kind of like depowering of moreland that he would become this kind of like easily beaten lackey you know that that it would you know, reduce the threat that he presented in in the world of Spider-Man. And I have to say, I'm kind of of two minds about it in in this issue is that like, he just tears through those spider people in an instant. And I thought it was appropriately gruesome and he was appropriately cocky and full of himself and like above everything, if a little too jokey for my liking. But the end of this is kind of like when he fights a sin eater, like he tears the sin eater apart but ultimately it ends up being one of those kind of like rock beats paper kind of scenarios where it's like, even if he is all powerful, one shot of this gun 
can is enough to take him out. And I don't know how satisfying that is. And I, I think that the conclusion to it is a bit weird that like Sin Eater brought this fake shotgun apparently to this battle only to kind of rig up this Rube Goldberg kind of shotgun web to the wall scenario. I just don't get why that needed to be so elaborate if he could just shoot him and get it over with, um, especially when he's got him at point blank range. And so like, I don't know that I feel like this reduces the threat of Moreland. Like Spider-Man doesn't have a sin devouring gun, so he can, he's still a physical threat, but it's a kind of like silly resolution to this that like made it feel anticlimactic and like, you're right. Like Moreland was just this kind of side character that's just serving a different story. And it's weird to see Moreland, a all powerful guy serving someone else's story in this way. Well, you know, you mentioned the, the, the interaction between him and the Sin Eater here. And like, it's, it's one of those things where I actually kind of liked what we got initially because it was, it was interesting to kind of see the Sin Eater kind of coming to terms with the fact that, you know, he had been, because he had been abandoned by Kindred, he wasn't certain if, you know, if he had kind of bitten off more than he could chew here with with someone as potent as Moreland coming at him. And it, and it actually created some legitimate tension there for a few minutes, only to kind of like undo it all with this, you know, deus machina dummy gun or whatever. I mean, it kind of reminded me of uh, you're going to laugh that I mentioned this analogy, like your your Rise <laughs> of Skywalker article about the the Emperor's plan. You know what I mean? It's like like <laughs> like like what what kind of level of like eight dimensional chess is Sin Eater playing here to kind of have this all set up? Like, well, in case I get overthrown and this happens and that happens, I'm going to you know, it just it's a little I mean, yeah, comics, quote unquote, like stuff is silly. It seemed a little a little over the top of a plan here for someone of the Sin Eater when he could have just taken the gun and shot him. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I have this all-powerful gun that can take your powers away. I'm not certain what my own powers are because of what had happened between Kindred and I. Why wouldn't I just have the powerful gun with me from the start? <laughs> you know? Like, why, why take the risk? It just, it just kind of ended up being silly. And yeah, I, I agree wholeheartedly. It's like, Moreland is a main attraction of his own right. I mean, he's clearly being used as like a secondary villain here to kind of put other things into motion involving the spider squad and Peter's feelings of vulnerability about putting them in danger, as we kind of see in the regular ASM issue, which we'll get to. There could have been other ways to do that besides bringing in one of the heavy hitters like Moreland when, you know, I think years from now, we're not going to really remember his role in this story, you know, whereas, you know, when you think about Moreland, because he's such a special attraction, even the stories that maybe we're not the hugest fans of, you, we, we we know them, just, you know, definitively as Moreland stories. And this is not a Moreland story. And it kind of feels cheap that he's being kind of thrown in. It's just another, you know, another distraction in, in, in a story like this. Like this should be focusing on different things here. My big question is kind of like, what's the takeaway? Like what did Sin Eater get out of this? Is he now like vampiric and can feed on, on totems? Is he this all powerful thing? And then I asked myself, well, what is the writer doing that for? And and the obvious answer to me is that, you know, there needs to be a way to quickly dispatch the order of the web so that, you know, it's still a mono mono fight with Kindred and, and Spider-Man or however that's going to shake up. Because it actually doesn't seem like 
there will maybe be a physical altercation at the end of all this. Like there's some more grand moral question. We've almost seemed to have moved past the kind of question of the physical capabilities of Kindred, as we'll probably discuss in, in 54. In my mind, this order of the web still feels very tangential to the core story of, you know, Kindred and, and Spider-Man or Peter and Harry. And, you know, as the evidence continues to point towards one more day, you know, I wonder where the main players of that story are in, in this overall thing. Like we've not seen Aunt May in like at least a dozen issues, if not more. And, you know, if we are going to be going back to discussing one more day as the conclusion to this issue very strongly suggests you know, maybe raise the, I mean, I guess we all are familiar with MJ and Aunt May, but it is nice to know like what they mean to Peter. And I almost wonder, and maybe this will be a critique I lobby when the story is done is like, could Aunt May and MJ have taken the place of the order of the web in, in terms of like threat on, on Spider-Man familiars. And, and I, and I'm going to get venture that the order of the web's inclusion is purely a marketing one. Uh, Cause people want to buy their, various spider people books, but I'm trying not to be so cynical, but it, it does make me think like, where's Aunt May and MJ in all this? I, I agree with you hundred percent. And, and, and you said it perfectly. I mean, like, you, you, I mean, even Dr. Strange's presence in this, I mean, like he ha- obviously had a role certainly through one moment in time and, you know, and then in, in, in this era of stories that were kind of paying homage to like Dr. Strange was a big part of, you know, the J the JMS run and, and whatnot. So like, you know, him, him being involved in this in some degree, that makes sense to me too. But like, yeah, it's just like, I feel like between the LR issues and the main series, you have this, you have this character, regardless of the fact of who's under the mask, his name is Kindred, you know, like, and we're, and we're, and we're mining this kind of landmine in one more day. Like this is, this is the potential to be this really intimate character centric story to the most granular detail and instead i feel like yeah the order of the web is just kind of like this you know like this shiny object in the middle of it and and it just detracts from me like i i i don't feel they belong and whether it's aunt may or even if it's just peter and mj but like i mean aunt may is essential to the whole mythology of one more day you know like you you do not like he is what Peter sacrifices his marriage for. Not Harry, not not the Order of the Web, not Doctor Strange, not nothing. I mean, it's it's Aunt May's life. So how, like you said, how we haven't even touched on that in any way with the fact that we have one issue left in each of these storylines is kind of in, indescribable to me. I don't understand how we, we, we could be doing that. But like, but beyond that, yeah, like including what... It's very like you said. It's clearly marketing. It's it's like let's let's get the, the the clan in. I mean, you know, we 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 won an Oscar with these guys, so we gotta like just keep shoving them out there. And it's just it just seems silly to me. Like there was an opportunity to really tell a very specific, special, unique story, and I feel like including all this detracts from it and diminishes it, and and that's that's upsetting. Well, I mean, I think the thing that says it all for me is looking at the cover of this, of this very issue and the largest figure on the cover is Jessica Drew's Spider-Woman, who has nothing to do with Spider-Man other than the spider in her name, you know, and maybe some kind of totemic 
you know, thing if you really want to go that route. But like, is she a spider person? I mean, yes and no. I know we did a whole episode on her, so you know, shame, shame on us. It's something I'm I'm mulling over as I think about it, and I do want to talk about Federico Vin- Vincentini. See, I can't even do it. It's just a mouthful uh, of my non-Italian mouth. I do want to talk about him, but like we, you know, I think in terms of the emotional stuff, it, it's like if you're going to be homaging. JMS and incorporating his elements, you know, the heart of the JMS stuff is truly the triangle relationship between Peter, Aunt May and MJ as as the core characters and, you know, eschewing all this stuff. I mean, even like the Osborne stuff. I mean, JMS just really didn't touch it until he did. And then you wish he didn't. You know, and I, this this issue starts to get into into that stuff. And I think he's replacing those interactions with things like the discussion that we, we can talk about between Madam Webb and Spider-Gwen, but it just kind of feels a little hollow because they're not the same characters as, as the ones that they're making reference to. But first, I just wanted to say uh, Federico, like his pages are still really fun, you know, as goofy as we might have thought the Moreland stuff was. It's presented very differently than J.R.J.R., whose Moreland was like very... I don't know, statesly? I don't know, upper yeah. class? I don't know. Yeah, how, you know, he, yeah. it was kind of looked like a British character, you know? like <laughs> Very rigid, very like pole up his butt, you know? And very controlled. In, and I think this is a more ravenous version of him, but I'm okay with it. Like, uh, I think it's kind of neat. It reminds me of kind of like a McFarland lizard story. Um, oh, uh, Torment? Torment, yeah, yeah. There's some real nice visuals that are similar to that. Anyway, I just shout out to him because he does the first half of this issue and um, I, I'm still really enjoying his artwork quite a bit. But let's talk about some of the Doctor Strange Order of the Web stuff. I mean, putting aside our thoughts of Order of the Web, because I mean, there were some things that were interesting here and, and certainly like the Astral Plane stuff. There were some fun, fun things in there. You know, you, you alluded to it a few seconds ago. Let's talk about the, the Spider-Gwen and Julia Carpenter talk. I mean, you know. It was certainly an interesting thing about Peter and his decisions. We don't really hear about that from someone else's perspective in terms of Peter making, you know, and, and the choices he makes and, and why he makes them. What was, what was your takeaway with, with that segment? Kind of as a return, like, you know, putting a button on the conversation that they had, you know, back, you know, several issues ago. I don't know that I gained a lot of knowledge about this other than maybe like this continued assertion that Peter is driven by responsibility and he is easy to predict and how he'll react to things. And that makes him kind of vulnerable. And, you know, I think it's just continually underlining where we seem to be going with this story is it's like about how Peter's patterns of behaviors wreak abuse on everybody, but him or like his, you know, uh, uh, blind adherence to responsibility ultimately leaves other things in, in its wake. But again, like I said, it felt a little bit hollow because like Gwen isn't Gwen Stacy and she's not really experienced what that character has. And so it feels like an like a, like an echo of, of a different conversation. But I don't know. I mean, it was fine. It just didn't really stand. I, I don't feel like I gained anything from it. I, I guess I enjoyed the nod a little bit and, you know, them kind of going back to, you know, why Peter reacted as poorly as he did at the conclusion of. I guess the build up to this story, but I, I see what you're saying. I mean, like it, it, it's, it's still not Gwen, you know, real Gwen, if you will. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> it, it, 
you know, I think they're kind of like relying a little too much on on history and probably fans like you and I who who know the history better. And you know, I can't imagine what a newer reader is really taking away from all this, especially if they're their real only knowledge of of Gwen Stacy is either from the, you know, the Mark Webb movies or from Spider-Gwen, frankly. So it's kind of like, OK. Well, I think, you know, after all that, like the most interesting part of the book is the next part of the book, which is where these kind of like demons start appearing in the astral plane. And, you know, I, I didn't pick up on this straight away, but then it became quite obvious is that like there's this four armed gun toting monster that shows up that they begin battling. And there's a suggestion like this must be someone important to Peter to have appeared in this, you know, Peter tainted version of the astral plane. And, you know, I tried to square it first. Like, is this the burglar? You know, what is this? And then a giant demon kingpin, or they call him a king sized kingpin shows up, which I thought was clever. And then a portal opens up with zombie may Parker's coming out of it. So at least we got some aunt may in this book. And upon thinking about it a, a, a bit more, it could be, you know, like, it kind of clicks in what this is and it's, you know, a straight up shout out to like the civil war era back in black storyline that, that preceded one more day where Kingpin hired an assassin. And that's what the demon is, is, is the sniper assassin to kill Aunt May, which is why she's kind of zombified. It's a little weird to see this demon with these four guns and four arms because it was a sniper. It wasn't like a machine gun toting guy that took out Aunt May. Like, I think that visual would have been clearer if it was someone with just a sniper rifle. So that was a little muddled for me. Like if I was meant to kind of just understand it in the moment, but it is neat that yes, we seem to be still circling this whole one more day era and whatever happened there, although we know, but it seems like the characters are very um, out of the loop. Mark, did you kind of pick up on this straight away or um, what was your kind of experience? It definitely took me a few reads. I mean, you know, for me, the like when when frankly, when stuff started to click that we were once again mining this territory was when MJ showed up and and basically said, Peter, the answer is yes. And of course, I, I remember that very distinctively from. The original one more day that that was kind of like her answer before the the deal was sealed with Mephisto, and then it kind of went back. But I mean, it, this was clever. I mean, like you said, there were definitely some some misses in terms of how they could have completely done the the sim you know the symbolism here. But you know, I kind of tip my hat that they they you know they chose to represent these this this era the way they did, and and back in black. I mean, not only was it what preceded one more day, I mean, it's essentially what sets it into motion because of how Peter humbled Kingpin so badly, you know, like, and he he needed his revenge. And we'll get to this when we start talking about 54, but like, we've been tap dancing around one more day for so long. It's like, let's just, let's just be, go- be out with it, folks. You know what I mean? Like, what do we, what, just say it, you know, <laughs> like, like, what are we doing here? You know, like, like you got two issues left between this and, and, you know, between LR and the main series. Like, why are we still like playing coy with one more day? Like just say, this is about one more day. <laughs> but anyway, what's curious about, what's curious about this to me is, you know, th- this astral plane is presented as like, a reflection of like what's on Peter's mind. And the first time he went in here was before one more day, 
right? Like he infected this area well before one more day. And so like, I don't know how this has kind of kept up with what Peter knows or memories or is a manifestation of his mind in some way. But if, if it was updated purely by him going back into it and straying off the path again, just a few issues ago, what's curious to, to me about these figures showing up is that like, we're to, un to understand that Peter doesn't remember any of this stuff. And yet it's still showing up, which suggests to me maybe that that information or that knowledge about what transpired during one more day is still there, maybe repressed or forgotten by Peter, but it's still obviously like a part of his psyche in some way enough that this realm is feeding off of it, which, you know, I think is kind of an interesting thing to think about considering what happens in, in 54. I'm going to skip ahead just to, to make this point where, you know, Kindred is, is requesting of Peter to confess, as he has for a number of issues. And I, I wonder if we're ultimately going to find out that, like, One More Day is an event that Peter has access to in his memory, but has really chosen to repress. But it is there for him to access. Or maybe he's downloaded it into this astral plane. But it, but it is, you know, I, or maybe I'm thinking about this too much, which is my want to do. It does make me wonder, like, what are these elements doing in this astral plane if they didn't happen yet at the time that he first infected it? So, I don't know. Something to consider. I, just to kind of finish this up, of course, we, we, we kind of get out of the astral plane with Doctor Strange and the Order of the Web. And, of course... They're they're taken to the graveyard where Kindred and Peter are, and you know what what awaits them, Dan. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, uh, Peter and Kindred for one, but um, also the Sin Eater is already there. I'm not sure how he knew about this graveyard. I mean, the same way he uh, knew yeah. about setting up his gun for Moreland, I guess. You know, like the Sin Eater knows, <laughs> or the same way that Norman knew that MJ would be in on the bridge to find when the spiders attacked it. Who, who knows? But the other curious detail is that he's hiding, particularly behind Gene DeWolf's grave, which makes you wonder, why was everybody buried in the same graveyard? Is there only one graveyard for Spider-Man characters in New York City? There's a there's a huge cemetery in Queens that and I forget the name of it, but it's it's huge and famous. So, I mean, I guess if, you know, they're all in Queens it might make sense that they're all there, but I, I mean, you know, yeah, we're, we're, we're suspending. There's my no prize, right? You know, even though I don't know what one is, there's my no prize. <laughs> I used to live right by that cemetery. It's like at the end of the L train and you just get out and it's like miles of cemetery. Correct. Yeah. That's where we're at. You know, you know, again, the order of the web is in mortal danger and it's all Peter's fault. And we've kind of played this game before. Do you want to, get into a grade for this one before we get into 54 or is there anything else about this issue you wanted to touch on no i, I mean uh, takeshi miyazawa I, I you know i don't have much to say about the artwork uh you know this artist they did work on spider gwen and i quite liked their work in that book and i think it's you know really fine here i i don't think it's quite on the like the kind of level of vincentini but uh still fun to look at and and handsomely drawn so I'll, I'll go first with grades. So I'm not just agreeing with you. Uh, I, I'm, I'm going to give this one a C plus. I feel that, you know, it's better than average, but just just a bit. Again, the, the, this whole series is kind of a miss for me, but 
you know what what worked worked here what didn't was was not offensively bad so c plus i'm giving this one a c i just kind of feel like a lot of these beats we've kind of been there done that and uh, i mean some of them are interesting sure like the demon stuff but I don't think it's a surprise to anyone at this point that we're circling around one more day. And so I'm kind of, you said it earlier, I'm just kind of ready to get to it. And I don't know if that's this, this that's this book's fault. I, I'm not sure that this stuff needed this kind of lengthy treatment. I'm ready to kind of get to the next beat. So let's get to the next beat because next up we're going to be. And we're going to get some hate mail for this one, Dan, I think. I don't know. I, I, I just have a sense. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So next up, we're going to be discussing Amazing Spider-Man Volume 5, number 54. That's Legacy 855, written by Nick Spencer, with pencils by Mark Bagley, inks by John Dell, colors by Edgar Delgado, and letters by VCs Joe Cara Magna. You know, I'm trying to say that right because I'm actually mispronouncing it. It's it's like lasagna. Oh, I always say Joe Caramanga, but you're probably right. It's like lasagna. I, I watched the, the Marvel Method documentary. Uh, oh, the, documentary. Six one, the 616 doc? Yeah, and they go out of their way to say that it's like Joe Caramanga, like lasagna. But see, I now I've said it so many other times that I can't even say it anymore. I haven't watched um, that yet. I need to watch that. It's good. You should check it out. I know a lot of people wanted to beat up on Dan Slott about it, but I thought it was like a, a an honest thing. And I, I appreciate anybody that can play the heel, you know, even if it's true, like allowing yourself to be presented as the heel on a, like a nationally you know, a program that 70 million people could watch. Like, I think that takes some hubris, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm over beating up on Dan Slott. We, we beat up on him for a few years. It's over. Come on, people move on. So anyway, a cover by Patrick Gleason and Edgar Delgado. This issue was first released on December 9th, 2020. And, you know, let's just start right there. This cover by Gleason. I know he's not doing any interiors, which I miss. This is a really cool looking cover. Uh, I mean, we've seen the kind of Spider-Man lenses as the cover before, but I think this is a really cool take on it. And, you know, maybe a bit of an inventory cover to hide the internal contents of this issue. But like, that's fine with me because like the next issue does that too. And it's been the background of my phone for months. This one too, really cool cover. I thought that this was a step up for Bagley and Dell on on the art in here. I just thought like last issue, you know, it was kind of there were pages where like it was unclear what was happening, what characters were what. And I think like in here, like Bagley's Harry is very obviously Harry this time. It's a little rough. The inks are not really quite what I'm used to on Bagley stuff. But in a way, their kind of rough scratchiness, I think, works with the tone of violence that goes on in this issue. And I and I feel like there's there aren't wasted pages in terms of narrative story or like visual storytelling in this. I think, you know, while I think the story is a little light on like plot movement, I do feel like the art packs a lot in. So. Uh, I appreciated that at least, uh, Mark. It, it sounds like you disagree. So well, no, so I, I'm. This is. I'm going to sound ridiculous here. So 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 bear with me here. I mean, I agree. I do. I do feel that like in terms of clarity, the the visuals were better here. But like, I also feel, and and maybe this is just me. And if it's just me, forgive me. But like, 
just this felt so much like Bagley Ultimate Spider-Man to me visually, and it that kind of took me out of it because I, I mean I know you can't hold an artist's style against him per se, but I I do feel that like from for the most part Bagley in this recent run has kind of been able to distinguish himself from Bagley, the ultimate Spider-Man artist in terms of his visual style. And I feel like, and and maybe it was Del Zanks that kind of went in that, you know, pushed it over in that direction. But like this, this felt very ultimate to me. I felt like I was reading a, and, and in more ways than one, in terms of the plot, I felt like I was reading a Ben Bendis Bagley story from, you know, 2005 here. And it just kind of, took me a little bit out of what I was reading. So I, 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 that was, that's, that's, that, that's just the knock for me. I was just kind of like, whoa, like this is, this is the heaviest ultimate Spider-Man I've seen in 616 Spider-Man ever. Was it, was it the flashbacks that, that pushed you in that direction? Because I had that thought looking at MJ in the flashbacks. Definitely the flat, like the Gwen flashback, like that looked like ultimate Gwen to me, looked like ultimate MJ, but even like Harry, I felt it looked like ultimate Harry. And yeah, it looked like Harry, you're 100%, but like it, but it looked like Ultimate Harry to me. So it just like it leans so heavily in that direction. And I've never seen the book quite go that heavy before in that direction. Even, even, I mean, I know it's Bagley, like he's got a way of drawing Peter, but like, I don't know. Like, do you agree with me though that like in the past he's kind of found a way to distinguish that a little way in terms of which version of Peter he's working on? I agree with you, kind of. I want to push back on it looking like Ultimate Harry because Ultimate Harry looks nothing like 616 Harry. Like they don't even have the same hairstyle or chin or anything like that. Let me rephrase it. Actually, I actually felt this Harry looked like Ultimate Norman. Okay. All right. That that I can see. Sorry. Yeah, yeah, I I should have clarified. Yeah, it looked like Ultimate Norman to me. I, I think it's like the Gwen and MJ thing really kind of, you know, push me. I think it's because maybe they have the hairstyle of their ultimate counterparts. I feel like Peter looks like older than he did in in Ultimate. And so I, I'm willing to kind of like go with that. I mean, I think it's tough because it's 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 his style and he so defined himself on Ultimate. I don't know how you kind of break free of that. But but I do agree with you. Like those flashbacks really screamed like they were like from another dimension. I do think like in terms of his like visual clarity this was like a million times stronger i mean like just that opening image of 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 harry with that like strong pointed jaw that is harry's it was like it 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 was like almost like a refutation of my there's no way he's responding to my comments because he did this months ago but uh it it felt like he was like self-corrected upon looking at his final page and was like no let me make this the most hairy looking thing ever because that first splash page is like very Harry Osborne to me. So I see what you're saying, but it didn't distract me quite as much as it did you, it seems. Okay. Well, that's fine. And, and, and like I said, I mean, I have, I have plenty of other issues with this comic. So, I mean, like that's, that, that was, you know, in, in, in kind of the grand scheme of things, a, a minor quibble. Let's talk about the comic itself in terms of the content and the plotting. I mean, you know, like, the last issue, despite the kind of the the hype of the previews with the with the one more day homages and whatnot, I felt like we were kind of it was kind of a flimsy story at the end of the day, and we were a little let down by it. 
I was like willing to forgive it and forget about it if this one followed up with some some meat and potatoes. And, you know, this was just more of the same, if not worse, in terms of the the decompressed storytelling and the lack of substance. And this is I mean, frankly, this is the part like similar to like what happened in Hunted, where where Spencer is just losing me in terms of how he's pacing the story. And this is like, you know, like fool me once, shame on me, fool me twice. I think it's just, just how he writes these stories. And it's just it's just so frustrating, Dan. It's like I I, I don't understand I think when I when I first read it, my text to you was like, he's just playing footsie with his story. Just tell your damn story, Nick. Like, what do you want? What are you trying to get to? You know, the whole point of of Kindred was it's not who I am. It's what I want. Well, you got one issue left and I still have no freaking clue what you want. And that is so frustrating <laughs> as, a, as a reader here. Like, what do you want? What is the point of the story? I still don't know. And there's one issue left, Dan. That's that's outrageous. And yeah, I'm I, I, <laughs> <laughs> I'm with you there, Mark. I mean, I think it, it's 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 that like I, like I can see the point of this issue, right? This is the penultimate like lead up to the climax. You know, it's getting setting everything in place. We're gonna have all these different worlds collide, right? As we've been setting up, and I, I can see the value in that. But the problem is. That like, but all the revelations that we're getting that we're supposed to be like, whoa, are things we've known for a long time. And all the stuff that we want is is undermining like the ongoing thing, the things that we're in the dark about. So like we're ahead of Spider-Man. We've seen all this stuff before. We know that Kindred has said we want you to confess, I, you know, there's something from the past. And without knowing that, it's hard to know what the stakes are or even like what the argument is. You know, like if this is a, no longer a battle about physicality, right, of, of one person overpowering the other, as this story definitely makes clear that Spider-Man has no chance in hell of overpowering this guy, like then I need to know like what it is a battle over. And if it's a battle over like Spider-Man's soul or a, a moral disagreement or an intellectual disagreement or whatever, then I, I need to know what that disagreement is because right now I've got two characters that I think are acting wildly out of character. And I'm sure we're going to get a really good reason for why that is maybe not Peter's out of characterness, but like Harry, if we end the next issue and don't know why Harry is acting like this, I'm like going to be so furious in a way that maybe I never have been like on this book. Uh, maybe, you know, uh, I could I could probably list other very infuriating things that we've covered on this show. I've got this big fight and I don't even know what's like, like what the point of it is. And, and, and it's really hard to stay invested in that in that case. I've said my my bit now and we can get into the specifics of it. But it's just hard. It's hard. And it, I keep waiting. I thought this was going to be an issue. I was uh, texting my friend Tristan and I was saying, you know, we should chat this week because like 54 is going to be a doozy. You know, like we're going to learn some crazy stuff. Uh... We didn't learn anything new. I mean, we got we got some, I think, very unsettling imagery and some graphic stuff that we don't normally get in the Spider-Man comic. And I saw some people on Twitter, not, not spoilers per se, but just kind of like, you know, people talking about, oh man, I, I you know, what a, what a brutal and, and, and raw comic. And I'm like, 
Yeah, but like, again, like kind of going back to what I was saying when we were talking about the LR issue, it's like what should be raw and, and brutal about this is the intimacy of, of what's going on between these two characters. And that's just nowhere to be found. I mean, this was just, I don't want to jump ahead, but when we, when we talk about the sequence with, with Kindred and the, the violent stuff, I, I, I have a thought about that. So please put a pin in that. Uh, just to the other point you had made about finding out about what, why Harry is out of character here. I mean, 100% I'm with you on that. And like, you know, frankly, like I am operating under, the assumption, and I've been operating under this assumption since I first predicted that it was Harry many moons ago, and then when it was revealed as Harry, even more so that this was not the Harry Lyman that we knew from the recent run of ASM going back to 800, but that this was like some kind of demonically dead version of Harry that predates One More Day. Operating under that assumption is why I think the character is acting the way he is, but the fact of the matter is... No one has told a squat that that's what's going on here. And yeah, if they if they keep going with this story without ever telling us, that's that's some BS right there. You can't do that. You know what I mean? Like you gotta you gotta you gotta you gotta, you gotta just just you know give your narrative some credit here. Like like it's just you know like you can't just operate with with assuming that your readers are assuming what you think. You know what I mean? Like and and I feel like that's what Spencer sometimes is trying to do with some of these epics that he writes. He's, he's too cute in terms of like giving the readers too much credit, frankly, you know, like I, I'm not saying to spoon feed us, but like, tell us what your story is. Like you got to tell us, you can't just make us guess and, and, and then never tell us. And yeah, there's one more issue left, but like, there's going to be a lot of stuff that has to be uncovered in that story. And then it's making me wonder how much plot's actually going to be left versus exposition of telling, of explaining everything that has happened to this point. And that's what worries me about where the story is going to end up. So, uh, you know, let's actually talk about the story now. <laughs> <laughs> you know, there's a lot you said there to unpack. And I think we can kind of get into more detail as we go through this. It starts off with Peter kind of in disbelief at this reveal. Right. And, and, I immediately was like kind of primed for like loving this because I liked Peter's reaction immediately. Right. He was compassionate just at the start, you know, like, like Harry, what's happened to you? You know, like you're my friend, like we've just gone through this whole gauntlet together, you know, watching you put your life back together, like whatever's going on, I can help you. Right. That's, that's how I would want Peter to be, especially with his good friend, Harry, you know, a guy who he's seen do this over and over again. And, you know, Harry immediately retaliates and it's interesting. He, you know, he suggests I have to stop you, Peter, before anyone else can get hurt, which is kind of a refrain that you and I have been talking about for a while, which is this idea that this story is ultimately about, you know, Peter hurting the innocence in his life. And, you know, uh, you know can, that's been con- the one consistent thing about Kindred is like this kind of refrain about protecting the innocence and, you know, I, I think this issue makes it pretty clear that that's like what this is going to be about is that Peter's actions have subsequent reactions that play themselves out on the people in his life, you know, and, and, and I guess that's why I was saying that refrain about Aunt May being a part of this, because what more clear a case, well, I guess more clear than that would be Gwen Stacy, but you get what I'm saying. But uh, and, and Harry's eye is glowing red during this, which suggests that there's something more than just him putting a mask on. Right. Like there is some kind of demonic thing, which 
I think ultimately is going to point towards us both being correct about who Kindred is. Like, I, I think it is Harry, and I think there is some demonic presence related to One More Day that that is powering him in some way. But, like, where this book completely turned for me was that then Peter just goes and starts wailing on him while also, like, and fighting him fine, but ridiculing his daddy issues and, like, that he's like a, a sad, broken child. I can't remember Peter ever doing that. And correct me if I'm wrong during like the JM, uh, the JMD era, like even, even when he was fighting Harry as shown in spectacular Spider-Man 200, there was always a compassion there for a mentally ill person. And, and I don't think if we're supposed to have gotten to this point where Peter's at his breaking point with Harry, We've not spent enough time with Kindred and Spider-Man interacting with each other for me to think that he would throw it all out the window to, like, destroy Harry Osborn in this moment, both physically and emotionally. Okay, end rant. No, that's that's beautifully said, Dan. Like I, I like literally as we're wrapping up for this section, I'm thinking to myself, even during Child Within, Peter never acted like this. And he truly got pushed by the to the edge by by Harry during that thing. And that was done over the score of like, you know, many, many issues, which we have not seen here. And you just said it all. I mean, that's that's it in a nutshell. It's that, you know, we're and again, like it's 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 Spencer playing off of the assumptions that his readers know the history here. And they don't. And and because, so, you know, the work has not been put in between Kindred and Peter here. Yes, we as the reader know that Kindred has been this haunting presence over Peter since the first issue of this run. But Peter has not known that. He's just had he we, we know he's had dreams of this character, but we don't he, he doesn't know to the to the level that this character has been stalking him. And, and again, like you said, like even even at the worst, I mean, like go back and reread those JMD issues of what Harry would did to Peter. I mean, like talk about like pushing him to the edge and Peter never broke like this against him, you know, like because it, it's his friend. It was his brother, you know, like that's that was always it. And you don't always like your brother as as JMD has said on our show, but you still love him. And there's no love there between Peter and Harry after that initial bit of sympathy. And it's just so odd. And, and, you know, like, again, like I can forgive Harry because again, I'm operating under the assumption that it's not truly Harry. It's some kind of possessed version of Harry. Cause also where is he getting this power from? I mean, Harry, Harry, even at like full amped up goblin serum was never this powerful. So clearly there's something going on here. You don't just yeah. get, you don't just get like the power to to kill your your opponent fifty times over and bring them back from the dead from from nothing. <laughs> you don't get that in a vial. It was just a strange, strange turn for Peter that 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 had no bearing on anything and was kind of leaning on like people making this, you know, readers make having to make the assumptions of kind of like here is. 50 what 50 how many years of spider-man history 58 years of spider-man history you know including the 55 years or so include of involving harry osborne and and what a problem he's been for peter that's that's what's fueling this but you know like this the narrative itself doesn't actually give you that to work with so it's a little out of nowhere 
it's odd because like Peter retaliates in this kind of brutal way and is like, I'm just going to take you out right now. You're not like you had me fooled that you were a demon. You're It's just you. Right. And like, why is it always that you're the first person anyone thinks of when things go bad? And like, is that true? Like th- this almost seems like some meta joke where Spencer is like, well, everybody thought this was Harry Osborne and they're right. Like I meant this to be obvious, but like within the narrative of amazing Spider-Man, you know, let's even go back to just brand new day where the character was reintroduced. He's been a pretty straight arrow all that time. I mean, like, I think we were meant to assume that he was menace. The only time I can think of this character ever really standing up for himself in any kind of physical way or menacing way would be like when he like, took out Vin Gonzalez at the end of that party or when he stood up to Norman Osborn, like he's been a, he's been a guy redefining his life in a way that I've quite liked. And so I felt like that was disingenuous uh, of, of Peter to kind of lay, lay that at, at his hands to your point, Mark, that this is like some pre OMD, you know, J JMD Harry, you know, it's interesting because Harry immediately retaliates and is like, Look, I let you look like you could beat me up, but I am past all of that stuff. I it's not about the goblin serum. It's not about my father. I've matured past that. Something else is on my mind. So then I started thinking, well, like maybe this is Harry Osborne slash Lyman. You know, like this guy who has gotten past all of these things. So then what happened? You know? And you know, in my mind, it's probably one more day related, like this hooking up of Peter and MJ somehow unlocked this memory in Harry and coupled him with a demon or something like that. But again, we don't know. So it's hard to really invest in two characters here that you think are acting kind of wildly out of character for themselves. Harry intentionally, right? It's supposed to be out of character. Uh, now I'm now I'm going down another dead end. Again, we're 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 how many issues into this story now? Four or five. I, 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 I'm trying to, you know, recall when the official start date of of this arc was. But it's like the, this whole story was built around the fact of, you know, it's not about who Kindred is, but we're going to tell you finally. But it's about what he wants, and and we we just don't know. We we really we really don't know what he wants, and we keep kind of alluding to the fact that he wants something. We're not, we're, you know, like we're just we're getting allusions to one more day and to MJ and, but like, just tell us, man, like, what, what, what are you holding out for? Like what this is, this is like, this is like Bendis decompressed storytelling on steroids here. Like, like just tell us, like, I, I don't understand like why, what the suspense is like, cause this isn't suspense. It's just annoying. I think we mostly get what Kindred wants here. It's like a confession. Right. It's like, but we need to know specifically what that confession well, that, is. Yeah, about. Well, exactly. I mean, yeah. OK, yeah. He's he wants a confession, but it's like, what 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 is it about MJ? Like, like what do you just say it? Like, say you you screwed this up. You made a deal with the devil and now you want her back. Just say it like we know that's what this is going to be. So why aren't we just saying this so then we can set other things into motion and, and tell a better story instead of like building to a conclusion that we essentially know what the conclusion is already, you know, like, like what, taking five, six, seven issues to say what we know is going to happen. That's just kind of where I'm at with it. So let's talk a little bit about Harry then proceeding to, kind of, you know, like he's like, it's not about killing you. 
but then he proceeds to like kill Peter like eleven times in a row, <laughs> each each yeah, time more he brutally pulls a than Ben a, Riley on him. Yeah. Well, like, well, that was my point. I was gonna say like this. I think this would have had that whole sequence would have had more impact if we didn't get like this whole thing already with in a clone conspiracy with Ben Riley, Ben Riley and Jackal. Right. I mean, like this is this is like almost visual for visual the same thing. So like that to me was kind of cheap because it was like, you know, we saw this already. It's not it's not as horrifying when it's you're only a few years removed from it the first time around. I thought it was kind of cool that, that you know, the first time when he beats him to death with a rock, which I, I can't believe I'm saying happened in a visual of Amazing Spider-Man. But it's very, it, it's a, very biblical, very Cain and Abel. Right. Yeah. Which, but it's which also would be, which would be uh, brothers, uh, you know, brothers killing each other, you know, so. Yeah, that's a good point. I I think, and I can't say for sure, it also seemed to me to be a visual parallel of the Joker killing Jason Todd in A Death in the Family with the crowbar, the kind of vertical panels and the repeated thing where we don't see the person who's being beat. So I guess if Batman can do it, Spider-Man can, because these books are similarly toned, right? No. Right, yeah, right. A yeah. Joke. Although I guess it seems now that we're in it, and we're getting these kind of like, visual illusions that we got a lot when Otley was on the book, these flashbacks to this kind of innocent time that, you know, I'm not sure who's seeing this. Like, are we seeing this as the audience? Is this Peter kind of living these moments as he's dying over and over again? I also thought it was interesting that like Harry puts his hand on Peter's face to bring him back from the dead. It had this very like Cain, the Mark of Cain kind of uh, a thing. Well, getting back to Cain and Abel. You know, like how he used to be able to like mark people's faces with his palm, but I'm probably over, over overreaching there. It was a really brutal sequence. I'm not gonna lie. Like uh, watching him be torn apart by centipedes was not what I expected to see in the pages of a Spider-Man comic. I, I do feel we kind of been there and done that with with this kind of story. I mean, no, yeah, it wasn't Peter. It was Ben Riley, but still, it, it was it was odd, and and you know I did make the the Jason Todd Joker connection, but I was definitely feeling you know as I alluded to more of the Cain and Abel thing and the you know the brothers at, at odds kind of a thing. This was great shock value, but what, what did we learn about the story? We still you know like Peter is having these flashbacks uh, of this happier time and. You know, he's being made to, you know, you you bring these people pain and, you know, like Peter is this is nothing new. Like, that's the story of Spider-Man. <laughs> that, that, <laughs> like, like, like we're like and we, we really don't get to it until, you know, again, Harry kind of says says the quiet part out loud again, which is that, oh, you, you make deals with the devil. But like this time he's referring to. You know, him saving Harry, uh, Norman Osborn in the other story. But like, you know, deal with the devil, obviously, is a very pointed, specific phrase in Spider-Man history. It would be nice if we can just say the deal of the devil that we all think of when we think of the deal of the devil in Spider-Man. But like, it's like we're just afraid to just say it and, and, and get that part of the story forward finally. Well, I, I mean, I really like the kind of like uh, meta level idea of this story, which is like, you know, p- every choice Peter makes has an unintended consequence, which Norman kind of or well, not Norman Harry lays out, you know, like every time you, you know, act, try to act responsibly, you know, you aren't really dealing with the ramifications of that directly. And it always takes me back to the kind of like Aunt May asking 
you know, Peter to watch Nathan Lubeski and he goes off on a Spider-Man adventure and Nathan ends up getting beat up horribly. Right. Like that's a very Spider-Man thing, you know? And I think that's like kind of what Harry is getting at here is like, you need to like address this or, or figure out, you know, how to deal with it. And, and, and Norman is kind of the ultimate uh, example of that, which is like, my responsibility is to save Norman even if there are other consequences, but like eventually someone's got to make Spider-Man face that decision and Kindred is, is it, but we, we've known that. And I think, right. That's the real frustration. It's we've known like, yes, that's where you're going now. Let's get to it. And there's some nice like artistic touches here. Like I liked that those things appeared in the mirrors that were set up and that those mirrors were like, you know, kept around for a good reason. Like, this will probably read very well in a trade, you know, where things are very cohesive and escalating and coming together. Like right now, you know, at the end of this book, we've got the order of the web appearing in the mirror and they're headed towards sin eater and kindred. Although I have to point out that they spelled Ross Andrews name wrong on the grave in, in that scene, they spelled it Andrew like a N D R E W instead of a N D R U. So like things are coming to a climax and, you know, you know, we only can do this issue by issue because the next issue might be stupendous and and wrap it up in in how we matter. But all we can go on is this ongoing pattern of Spider-Man event books, saving everything for the final issue and that final issue just being overstuffed and kind of a letdown. And we can, we'll address it when we address it. I'm, I'm, I'm eagerly awaiting reading it. You know, I am still into this story in terms of, I, I do like, I'm, I'm yelling and getting frustrated because the fact of the matter is I just want them to say it and, and, and acknowledge it and, 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 and tell us what's going on because I, I am interested to that degree, but you know, as a critic in terms of watching how this narrative is unfolding, it's just, it's, it's also just frankly frustrating. And I feel unfair in terms of how how they're going about doing this because i feel like it's you know it's not it, it it's not it's not playing by the rules necessarily and 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 you know to i feel to try and stuff so much into one issue because of whatever the the rationale is it just feels like you're going to ultimately cheapen your story and and not truly execute it the way it needs to be done but you know, it's where we're at. You know, this is not like, you know, this is not a clone saga in terms of offensiveness to my sensibilities. But like, you know, like, let's it's 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 following a pattern that we have seen from this creative team. And by team, I'm also not just talking about Nick Spencer and 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 his art team, but also editorial team and how they want to tell these events. And I prefer something a little more concise and, and, and direct in terms of, and, and we've had periods on this book where we've gotten it. So it is what it is, I guess. <laughs> you know what I mean? But, uh, you know, do, do, is there anything else you want to specifically mention or do we want to get to grades? <laughs> I'm just, I'm just thinking about clone conspiracy all over again. Like it's taking me back. That seemed like the same structure here. You know, the kind of a, a big event built around a reveal where, the reveal is interesting, but not really at the heart. Like it requires a tremendous explanation, right? Like why would Ben Riley do this? And I don't feel like I ultimately really felt like Ben Riley was the, all that motivated to act the way that, that he was acting. It seemed wildly out of character to me. And just consider my spidey sense going off 
you know, on this one, even if it's not necessarily earned by Spencer. The, the the conclusion of Hunted was not really what we wanted, but it was an, it was an interesting end of an idea. This feels much more tightly constructed, even if there are things that you and I would pro- probably remove, like the order of the web. But I hate to think that my eagerness is going to cause me to rate this book lower than it is, because like maybe I'm just n- unsatisfied because my particular desires are wanted. But I also do think that like it's time and these characters have been strung along long enough. Like, let's get to it. Spencer has kind of created a no-win situation here in that, and this is the lens how I'm looking at it, frankly, in that, yes, last, I keep calling it, is it Last Rites or Last Last Remains, (laughs) sorry, you know, began, what, five, six issues ago. But the fact of the matter is this Kindred story started 54 issues ago. And, you know, to, 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 to build this up, you know, regardless of how slowly and incrementally it was built up to this point, and then literally have to pull the trigger on so many critical points in one issue just feels ridiculous to me. And if it turns out that it's ridiculous because we're not going to pull the trigger on all these things next issue, we're only going to get the, you know, only get the answers to a couple of these things. And, you know, we may not get the other answers for another 20, 30 issues as part of some other arc. I give up. You know what I mean? Like, we can't keep straight, you know, like, like how, how much longer can you push this? You know what I mean? Like, like, we're, like, like that's, that's just unreal, you know, in terms of, uh, in terms of a, a narrative arc. So that's why I feel like it's, it's, it's lose, lose. Like it's, it's either going to be too too condensed and con- and and contrite in terms of how they wrap everything up next issue, or we're just going to play this game more for another umpteen issues and 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 torture us some more. So I, I it's not that I'm not optimistic. I just feel like things have now been set up in a way where I just don't know if we're truly going to get that. Oh, that was perfect. And you know maybe you know it's comics. Maybe it's not meant to be perfect, but. There have been times in my time, you know, even in on the show, Dan, where it's been perfect. And this is I, this is shaping up to not be one of those times. I very much suspect that the next LR issue is going to wrap up the Sin Eater order the web stuff. And 55 is going to, you know, deliver the mega reveal with Kindred. And then the next two issues are going to be some like major fallout dealing with the fallout stuff. Which, if that ends up being the case, I, I'm I'm okay with that so long as we are, we're ultimately getting a new status quo that has me more interested in this book because I think that's what the book needs is like a, a definitive, declarative. This is what I want to do. If Kindred isn't that, then I don't know what he's waiting for. What is your grade on this one, Dan? It's so tough. Yeah, this is a this is a C for me. I'm I'm gonna yeah. I mean, I, I it's it's tough for me too. I, I've been going through a whole gamut of grades. I'm going to go C minus, which is weird because that, like that probably that probably even indicates that there's more about this comic that I liked than I'm letting on. But like, you know, again, like this is not offensively bad. It's not even bad. It's just frustrating. It's that's that's, I, I, that, you know, I think that's the, that's the word that just keeps coming. I keep coming back to you in my head. It's like, why is this so frustrating? Like, I, I just want to I want to have joy reading these comics and this is not giving me joy and that's annoying and frustrating but they're not bad so i don't want to like be like oh it's a d it's an a. You know, and it's not that but like 
come on, let me have some joy. Even if these are bad, like, like dark stories, you can have joy reading dark stories and I'm not getting joy from this. So I, I, I just hope these next few issues bring me joy, Dan. That's, that's what I'm looking for. That's a really great way to put it because like e- even with my frustration of the previous issue, I had fun picking apart the one more dayness, brand new dayness of it all. Like that was like thrilling to me in, in a way, you know, even if it was of very little consequence, uh, there was nothing for me to pick at here. That's where we're at. There we are. <laughs> well, Mark, why Mark's looking for joy. <laughs> well, speaking of joy, it is that time, time for all good, joyous things to come to an end. So we want to say thank you to you, the listeners and viewers for tuning in to this episode of the Amazing Spider Talk. Boy, we're just these two people that are just kvetching. We are consistent, if anything. Uh, so uh, and consistently, too, this episode was edited by Rick Coase with production support from Andy Myers. Our artwork comes handcrafted by artists Ron Friends, Sal Busema, and Ray Sumzer. Our theme songs were produced by Rylan Bojack, Tony Thaxton, and Spider Madge. This episode was originally released on Patreon as a live stream hangout with us back when the comic itself was first released. So if you'd like to help support our show's continued existence and these very reviews while joining us on the live stream, why not head on over to our Patreon and sign the heck up? Gosh darn it. So Mark, until you and I confess our many sins, which they are many, including all of your knocks against the annuals, what's our (laughs) motto? I was going to say, I thought my sins would have been all of my pronunciations, <laughs> including mischievous. <laughs> well, that too, but I'll give you a pass. All right. Thank you. Well, of course, our motto is, with great podcasts, there must also come the amazing spider talk. <laughs>